Uh, so first reading as uh, Genesis 4, 1 to 16, and then we'll flip over to 1 John 3. Uh, if you have the Black Bible, it's on page 4. So chapter 4 of Genesis, there you go. All right, Genesis chapter 4, uh, from 1 to 16. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And now we're going to have a second Bible reading uh, from 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 to 24. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. 
If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him, and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. Well, good evening, everyone. It's uh, great to be with you this evening. How good was last week, the... uh, the confirmation service here was packed out with 126, was it? Was the official count? Um, and uh, what a great, um, what a great evening and great uh, encouragement as we heard uh, the testimonies um, from our confirmees, which was was fabulous. <clears throat> um, good to be together tonight. Slightly fewer in number. I think we're missing some of our our number, but um, great that we can be here together. In case you're wondering if something, see, something's different tonight and you haven't spotted it yet, we've got new lights, which are really, not the, not the fairy lights things, but the, the big ones. They're, and they're, they're warm white rather than these, you know, hard, cold, blue, <laughs> medical centre kind of, you know, lights. So um, it's, um, it's much more human in here tonight. There you are. Now I've just all distracted you. You can just get over that and go, oh, that's what, that's what feels different. Um, let's pray as we uh, come to God's word. Father God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can gather together tonight. We thank you for one another. And uh, we pray that you would, you would speak to us. Please give us uh, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts that are ready to respond to you as you call us to. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what you'd say are the distinctive signs of a Christian. What are the distinctive signs of a Christian? Are there particular kind of telltale signs you go, ah, there's a Christian. Maybe it's a particular way of dressing. Maybe it's a, 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 a particular poor fashion sense that's kind of the giveaway. That's, oh, that must be a Christian. Years ago when I was growing up, it was, um, it was socks and sandals, which for some reason that was kind of that particular distasteful combo was, was kind of attached to Christians. Um, I was curious to discover last week that um, Emily Groves is trying to revive the, um, the, the, the fashion. Is, is, Emily's not here tonight, is she? So with her socks and sandals. But, um, or maybe, it's, um, maybe there are other telltale fashion giveaways. Um, some of you are probably mostly too young, but do you remember Colorado clothing? Remember? Once upon a time, I was pretty much exclusively dressed by Colorado. Um, these days, it's, um, it's Connor. Yep, Connor. And Catman too, yes. My jacket's out in the car, that's right. Um, Maybe I'm just describing myself at this point. Um, Or maybe the distinctive sign of a Christian is the car they drive. So it's CMS Summer School, big uh, Christian convention up at Katoomba in January each year. There's lots of families there. And there's the big oval, you know, where where all the cars park. It's the same as what happens at Kick, except at Summer School, where there's lots of families, the, the, the... 
the collection of cars on the Oval is massively overrepresented by which car, do you reckon? Kia Carnival. Kia Carnival. Absolutely. Summer schools should definitely get sponsorship from Kia. Uh, it's just such an advertisement of their product. It's basically just one big display centre for Kia Carnivals. But maybe the distinctive sign of a Christian is, is what they eat. A few years back, the, the potluck meal at any church was guaranteed to have what? Be, be, noodle salad. Some of you know. The, the, crun, the crunchy noodle salad, also known as Christian salad. Um, or maybe it's not eating, maybe it's what they drink or what they don't drink. Maybe they're the one at the work Christmas party with, with the Coke in their hand, together with their socks and sandals and their Kia Carnival and the crunchy, <laughs> the crunchy noodle salad that they brought. That, that kind of marks them out definitely as a Christian. Or maybe the sign is, is the fish sticker on the car or the, the cross on the necklace or the WWJD, what would Jesus do? Um, break them, um, you know, bracelet, wristband. That's the word I'm looking for. Anyone got one? Anyone? Anyone here going to say? Yep, I got. That was a that was a bit of a thing. Have you ever met someone outside of a Christian context and thought, I wonder if they're a Christian, and then you discover that they are, and you're kind of not surprised. What was it that made you think, I wonder if they're a Christian? What are the marks or the signs of a Christian? Now, John says in this, this letter that there are two distinct families of humanity and everyone belongs to one or the other. In 3 verse 10, he speaks of the children of God and the children of the devil. And he says everyone belongs to one family or the other. It's stark, it's confronting. You, you're either, you accept God as God, you trust him, you, you receive from him forgiveness and life and love, you're born of God, you receive new life, eternal life from him, or you deny God. You deny that he has a claim over you, that you assert that you rule your life, you're not answerable to, to him, to any higher authority, and in that you belong to and follow the one who rejects God as God, namely the devil. You are a child of his family. So the Bible presents this this truth simply and starkly there are two families of humanity and everyone belongs to one or the other everyone is either a child of god or a child of the devil so how do you tell who's in which family is there some sort of mark to identify them as of god or of the devil i mean some kind of halo or little horns or something well 3 verse 10 says We've got the power here. Here we are. It says, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. John puts that in the, in the negative, put it in the positive. Someone who does, who is God's child will do what is right, will love their brother and sister. Notice that the distinguishing mark of a Christian, of a child of God, is that they will love their Christian brothers and sisters. Now, Jesus said this himself. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So friends, it's not socks and sandals. It's not crunchy noodle salad. It's not Kia Grand Carnivals or Connor clothing or Coke at the Christmas party. It's not, not the fish sticker on the car or the cross necklace. It is love 
for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, why is that? And, and what does this love look like? Well, this part of God's word addresses us as children of God, those who have been born of him, who've been given new life by God, and, and it calls on us to love. That's my hope and prayer this evening, that as we listen to God's word, that God will be at work in our hearts, that God will be changing us and growing us and shaping us to live this out, to grow and do this more and more in real and practical ways. So, so look with me. Let's open our hearts to, to God's word. John, uh, uh, God, sorry, John uh, starts by reminding his readers that, uh, that this call to love has been with them since the beginning. He says, verse 11, he says, for this, for this is the message you heard from the beginning, we should love one another. This is, this is what Jesus taught his disciples. That's a verse, um, verse from John 13, the, the previous verse, Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And again, a few chapters on in John 15, 12, Jesus said, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So this is foundational. Love for one another is foundational. It's, it's, it's at the heart of what Jesus taught. It's at the heart of how we are to live. Now, before John tells us why we love and, and what love is, he firstly tells us what love isn't. And he expresses it in the, the negative as to what we're not to do. Verse 12, he says, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, many of you are familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, which we, uh, we read. Our first Bible reading, uh, Cain murdered his brother Abel. Uh, out of envy and jealousy, rivalry, he he hated his brother and he murdered him. Here is the, the opposite of love. I mean, to hate someone is to, is to want to be rid of them. That's what lies at the heart of, of murder. I mean, the ultimate outworking of hate is murder, to, to rid the earth of them. And it says that in verse, verse 15. It says anyone... Sorry, have I got that there? No, the next one, Sorry. There we are, verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Hate lies at the heart of murder. We're not to be people of hatred. We're not to be people of murder, of death, but of the opposite, of love and life. As verse 14 says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. John paints this very, very starkly in, in black and white. There's, there's no kind of shades in between. It's black or white. You are either ch a child of God or a child of the devil. You are either for life or for death, for love or for hatred, for God or for the world against God. And if you belong to God, well, you've passed from death to life. And so verse 13 says, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. I mean, if you're in this camp, that camp is going to hate you. If you're for God, then the not-for-God world will hate you. Now, I think we're seeing this increasingly in our, in our lives, in our culture, to, to stand for Christ, 
to stand for Christian truth and morality, that will see you hated and silenced and censored and labelled a, a hateful bigot. God's Word says, don't be surprised. We're, we're, in, a, we're in different camps. We're, we're not people of hatred and death. We're people of love and life. So don't be surprised if the world hates you. So why should we love? Well, because we've, we've passed from death to life. Jesus has, has saved us out of death, has given us eternal life. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, who, who brings us forgiveness, who calls us out of darkness into light, to use the language of, of chapter 1. So the fact that we, that we love, that we love each other, that, that shows that we've passed from death to life. So verses 12 to 15 tell us what love isn't. It's the, the opposite of the world of hate and death and murder. Then verses 16 to 18 tell us what love is. Look there, verse 16. It says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So Jesus gives us the, the ultimate example of love. He, he laid down his life for us. That is the ultimate example of love. He gave himself to death as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, as, as chapter 2, verse 2 says, so we could be forgiven, so we could be purified from all unrighteousness, that we could be born of God and given eternal life. Jesus displays the, the ultimate example of other person-centred action, of love. And John says we ought to do the same. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now you think about that, that's pretty full on. To lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. Who would you lay your life down for? I mean, if, God forbid, but if a terrorist burst through the door tonight and started spraying bullets everywhere, who would you throw your body in front of in order to take a bullet for them? Person next to you, in front of you, behind you, yeah. Have, have, have a look, yeah. Would you? Would you? Would you? Would you? It's extreme, isn't it? But you know, it. It, it sadly it happens sometimes. Um, some of you may have may have heard of the Port Arthur massacre, which happened in um, Tasmania in uh, 1996, which I realise is before many of you were born. Um, <laughs> most of you were born. Makes me feel old. A deranged gunman, Martin Bryant, burst into a cafe, started shooting people at random. He killed 35 people that day, including some husbands who threw themselves in front of the, the, the firing line, uh, in front of their wives to save them. And we hear that and we think, yeah, well, that's right, isn't it? That's, what, you, you know, you, that, that's the right thing to do in such a horrendous situation. And we hope that we would do the same if we found ourselves in that situation. That we would lay down our life, sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. Doing that in the ultimate way, by giving up our life, it probably won't be asked of us. But, you know, the same principle applies in, well, less extreme situations too. And so John continues, he says, verse 17, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, 
How can the love of God be in that person? If we are people of of, of love, of life, if we've received God's love, we've passed from death to life, then that same love will be shown in us as we lay down, well, not necessarily our lives, but lay down our possessions, our wealth, to meet the needs of our brothers and sisters. Now, notice the motivation there, the, the, the love of God in us. That's the defining motivation. That's what moves us to open our hearts to our brother or sister in need. Uh, the NIV translation uh, of verse 17 says, but has no pity on them. Literally it says, but closes his heart or his affections against them. We're to have open, generous hearts that, towards our brother or sister in need. And notice also it's talking about a, a brother or a sister. There's a, there's a priority for us to, to love those whom we're in relationship with as fellow Christian brothers and sisters. That's a priority that's expressed elsewhere, such as in Galatians 6.10. It says in Galatians 6.10, I think, yep, there it is. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. I mean, we live in a world of endless material need. Uh, this isn't a, a call to prioritise meeting all physical needs above all else. There's a priority for our Christian brother or sister. Notice also this is, this is practical and concrete. It's about meeting material needs. It's about loving, as John continues in verse 18, not with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Is this a corrective to me and to my uh, fellow words of affirmation, love language people, you know, it's a, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth, you know, all you acts of service people are feeling very uh, smug at this point. <laughs> but love, seriously, love is supposed to be practical. It is supposed to be concrete. I think putting this into practice, doing what John calls us to, what God's word calls us to, can be hard in our cultural context. Uh, we have a a social security system that helps to meet a lot of material needs. And so it can be easy for us to kind of, you know, dismiss this and say, oh, well, you know, that's taken care of. Centrelink looks after that. I don't need to. And that would be a mistake, especially in our, in, you know, increasingly so, as in our current uh, economic climate with, with uh, inflation and interest rates and the housing crisis. There, there's a lot of need. I think putting this into practice can be hard too, given our individualism, given our... The fact that we live isolated lives and we don't necessarily know what are the needs of our brother or, or sister. But we've got to do what we can to, to push through that, to push through our individualism and to, to share life with one another and, and to be open and to, to seek to show a, an open, generous heart to others. You know, I reckon there's um, one person who I reckon exemplifies this open-hearted generosity uh, to others uh, really well, and I'm going to embarrass him now, he doesn't know I'm doing this, but is Ben. Ben. Have you noticed Ben is constantly offering to pay for things for other people, whether it's their lunch or their coffee, or and, and the way he freely hands over his debit card because he doesn't have any cash to people, I'm sure violates some sort of banking terms and conditions subclause, but <laughs> in some ways it's a, it's a little thing to, to want to buy people you know, their lunch and their, their coffee and whatnot, but it, it models an, an open-hearted open-handed generosity that sits behind other bigger expressions of meeting the needs of others. I'll stop embarrassing you. 
God's word calls us to love one another in, in practical, concrete ways. Now, I wonder how that sits with you. I mean, hear those words again, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions, anyone? Can you tick that one? Yep. And sees a brother or sister in need, you heard on that, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That's, that's pretty challenging, isn't it? And I reckon as we hear that, I reckon our hearts are probably, well, they're a bit of a mixed bag when it comes to, to this. Our hearts are inconsistent. Sometimes we get this right. We open our heart in generosity to our brothers and sisters to meet their needs. Other times, our hearts struggle to be to be open towards others. I reckon John anticipates this, which is why he continues the next verse to talk about our hearts condemning or not condemning us. Because we don't always get this right. We don't always live out who we are as the dearly loved children of God who are called to lay down our lives in love for our brothers and sisters. But even when our hearts fail us, when we when we would stand condemned because of our, our cold-heartedness, even then we know that God is greater than our hearts, verse 20 says. And he knows everything. And so we, verse 19, set our hearts at rest before God, knowing that the God is greater than our inconsistent hearts. He knows everything and he deals graciously with us. Remember back in, in 1 verse 9 where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So even when our inconsistent hearts condemn us, we can rest in God's grace. God calls us to live out who we are, which is actually such a wonderful way to live. John describes this in verse 24. He, he speaks of living in him and, and he in us, having his spirit with us, living in step with his commands, uh, doing what pleases him. It's to, verse 23 says, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. There's life in a nutshell as a child of God. That's the mark of a Christian, is to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. What a picture of life, of blessing, of rest. To embrace the, the truth that, that Jesus is king, to embrace his rule, to believe in his name, and so to, to keep his commands, to, to love one another, to do what pleases him. And so to, to receive from him anything we ask, because what we ask is in step with him and his commands. This is the life of, of love as the children of God. And even when we fall short of that, when our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts. He knows everything, including the fact that we believe we trust and rest in the name of his son jesus christ so friends by way of implication the mark of a christian is love 
But this isn't just a kind of external badge to, to tack on, to put on display, like a, a fish sticker or a wristband. Now, this flows from a whole change of identity. As people who, who believe in Jesus, who have a new belonging, a new allegiance, a new identity that is different to the people of this world without God. We've passed from death to life and, and this new identity, this belonging is characterised by, by love. So brothers and sisters, let me urge you to, to get on with, with living that out, to allow that, that new identity, that new change to be expressed in how you live, how you relate, not just in words or speech but with actions and in truth. Love one another. If you see your brother or sister in need and, and have the means to help, then open your heart to them and allow the love of God in you to, to make a difference. Jesus calls us to love, to, to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. How can we do that more and more? Now, sometimes it, it does involve material possessions, stuff you've got. Sometimes it involves money. But, you know, sometimes I think it involves the gift of that most precious commodity, time. Time to, to cook someone a meal. Time to visit them. Time to pray for them. Time to write them a card, to send them a message. There are no end, there's no end to the ways that we can love one another. And I know, we, we do love one another. I see that in, in you guys, which is, is wonderful and is testimony to the fact that you are born of God and that, uh, that you do love one another. I know that, I see that. And I say, let's keep living out who we are. Let's do that more and more. Will you pray with me that, uh, that God will help us to do that? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love for us. Love shown most perfectly in Jesus who laid down his life for us as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Our Father, we thank you that through him we have passed from death, from hatred, from belonging to the devil, from this world against you, that we have passed from death to life, to love, to be children of you. Father, please help us to, to live out who we are. Please help us to love one another. Father, forgive us for the times where our hearts fail us at this point. And Father, please continue to, to change us and grow us and help us to love one another more and more. Not merely with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. And Father, we thank you that, that you are with us, that by your spirit you are enabling us to do this. And we ask that you'd help us to do this more and more. For your glory and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.